Amen. God kind of shook up my message a little bit uh, this week. I had another one, so where I planned, the more I prayed and got into the studying, and it kind of switched. Um, but this morning, we're going to talk about why I love Jesus. It's our 10th one. And I want to talk to you about being made in his image. Made in his image. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. According to the image of the one who created him. A true knowledge... Okay, got to know, got to figure it out, got to understand a true knowledge, probably a Holy Spirit knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. God wanted to do something in you. He put an image of himself in you in this new self, this new relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I want you to understand who this new person God has made you to be is, and you got to know the image of God. Uh, I, when I was about, oh, maybe 16, 17 years old, my parents trusted me to drive two, three states away to, from near St. Louis, Missouri, to the Arkansas-Louisiana border to my hometown, uh, Eudora, Arkansas. And I would come home often when I was growing up. We lived there since I was eight years old, and all my family's down here in Louisiana and Arkansas. And I'd come and visit my family and friends, and this is the first time I'd ever gone by myself. So, you know, eight-hour drive as a 17-year-old in my, in my little Ford Ranger driving down. It was a little nerve-wracking. But I'd get all the way here. Now, I have not lived in this town for eight years, over eight years. And I only visit just on weekends sometime in the holidays, right? Never been by myself. So I come to the gas station, little Exxon gas station. I go in, and I fill up. I've just got into town, and I walk in to pay and I come up to the lady at the cashier. She looks at me kind of funny, and she says, you're Mike Harris's son, aren't you? And I'm like, you know, like looking around, like, is it on my sh- How do you, I've never met this woman. I don't know her. And she says, well, your dad and I went to school together, and you look just like he did at your age, right? And so she was like seeing the, uh, you know, ghost from Christmas past show up or something. And I'm like, how, in the, how crazy is that, that eight hours away, eight years later, I walk into a, any gas, never been there, never, don't know this lady, and she says, you are your father's son. That's kind of crazy. Anybody ever tell you look like your mom or dad, right? Uh, anybody ever tell you you act like your mom or dad? Maybe that's worse sometimes, right? Uh, I got the Harris look, I guess. Uh, you know, in Genesis one twenty six. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Everybody say likeness, because that, we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning, image and likeness. He says, and God created man in his own image, both male and female. So ladies, you're also in the image of God. And it means that he made a representation of himself, a likeness, an image of himself in us. Mankind was the climax of God's creation. And while all other creatures he spoke into existence, mankind was different. It was unique. He was the last thing God made. The be- he saved the best for last. And then he put his own fingerprints in the dirt. If you can think about a muddy ball that you'd roll up in the clay and you put your hands on it, it's going to leave an imprint 
of your fingerprints, right? He, he put that on us. And then even more personable, he breathed his own breath, his life-giving breath, his Holy Spirit, DNA, in us. We had his fingerprints. We had his spiritual DNA. So we were made in his likeness or his image. And here's the problem, though. Just shortly after that, we lost it. We lost it. We fell into sin. We rebelled against his authority. We tried to be uh, better or more or like God, higher than God. Fell into temptation, fell to the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eye. We fell all that, and we, we lost his image. We were separated from knowing him. We were excluded from the life of God. And Romans chapter 1 tells us that we traded the connection and the worship of the image of God to the worship of other beings and earthly things. And because of that, a curse came on the world, a curse of sin. And we went from sin into sin into sin. And the problem today is that all, uh, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what continent you're on, we don't know what God looks like. For instance, if I would have walked in that place, say I'd never met my dad before, and I had walked into that gas station, she says, you look like Mike Harris. And I would say, well, that's great. I don't know who that is. I wouldn't know if I look like my dad or not. And if she had never met my dad, she wouldn't know if I look like my dad or not. And so the problem today is that we had been separated from the image and the likeness of God, that we became wayward sons, daughters, fatherless strangers, and we don't see God because if we don't see God, we can't see God in us. When you don't know your identity, you only know insecurity. That speaks on whole many, so many levels. If you don't know your identity, you only know insecurity. If you don't know your identity, you only know insecurity. You know, we are the most insecure of all creatures, the insecure of all creatures, because we stopped looking for God up there and we didn't know, so we lost God up here and so we couldn't find God in here. And so what we began to look for is self. We began to work on, you ever heard the word self-image or self-esteem or sense of self or better yourself. We began to focus on self, but we were made in the image. And so now we're focusing on self. You know what the word idolatry means? It is to set up another image, other than God. And so we all fell to this. Every single person, every man, woman, boy, girl, child, everyone from the beginning of Adam all the way till Jesus Christ, we had all set up the worship of another image that is the worship of self. But uh, I think it's easy uh, as adults, talking with parents, uh, and I worked with teenagers and young adults for many years, and it's easy to look at the culture today and focus on this selfie millennial culture, the, the Generation Z, the, the teenagers that we have today, and think, oh, it's all about them. But you know, image issues and self issues have been here since the dawn of man. We have always worried what other people think of us. We've always been insecure with ourselves. The worship of self has always been around. For instance, we've always pursued the perfect body. We've always pursued the perfect clothing style, the perfect friends, the perfect fun life, maybe the perfect family. Sometimes we even pursue the perfect Christian family. Let me project the, the perfect Christian family. And whatever you are projecting... That is what you are pursuing. 
Whatever you are projecting, that is what you are pursuing. So, for instance, I want you to see on Facebook that my family's got it all together. I want to go to the store. I'm going to have my, you know, my, my, I want my wife to have her makeup on. I want my kids to behave, and I want to look good. And, and whatever I'm trying to project, you know, that's what I'm really pursuing. I'm trying to pursue this facade. I'm trying to pursue this image of self. I'm trying to uh, look good and act good and project things well, because if I do that, then guess what? You think... I might have it all together. You think I might be okay. And all of us, every single one from the, the issues of us, we are, if we are all honest, we know why we're doing all this is because we know the real us is flawed. The real self is flawed because it's not made and it's trying to be making itself in its own image. But we were made in another image and we're, we're whole. Some people wrote songs and did paintings about a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. And that's pretty much true to that extent. It's saying we are all flawed. If I would let you know the real me, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed. I'd be uh, undone despite whatever I project, whatever its strength or beauty or success. No one single person is secure in self. You know that? Not one. Not one single person have I ever met or has ever been born since Adam is actually secure in themselves. Even the most, for instance, the most prideful, confident people actually are oftentimes secretly the most insecure. The most confident athlete is trying to, to build that security of always being good and always being right and always achieving it. That, that most vocal singer or that most outgoing person normally is trying to make sure they keep that image alive. And if they ever broke it, man, there's all kinds of things happen inside of us. We all feel fear failure. We all feel fear loss. We all uh, deal with rejection. So who are we really? Whatever you project you pursue. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. Whatever you are projecting, that is what you are pursuing. Look with me in Colossians. Just stay there with me. But I want to talk to you about three things this morning. Image, identity, and security. God just downloaded this in my heart this week. Image, identity, and security. Uh, let's talk about image for a second. You know, we're all secretly trying to live up to someone else's image. For instance, you're a, how many siblings in here? How many people got a brother or sister? Did you ever deal with this in your life to be as good as your brother or your sister? Did mom or dad, you always, maybe secretly you thought, man, mom or dad kind of liked them a little bit better. And, and maybe brother or sister was good at track or whatever. And I need to find something I'm good at. So mom and dad will, you know, cheer me on too. Or maybe today, you know, your brother or sister, and it, they come to Christmas and they tell you all the things they've bought and done and places they've been. And you think, you know, we went to Branson, they went to Italy. You know, I'm like, you know, how, how do I compete with this? How do I live up to this? They got cool stories. You know people like this. Every time you meet them, they're going to tell you something they've done that's really awesome and cool, and you're just thinking, I don't even want to hear it. Yeah, I just don't even go, you know, because i got to hear about all the things. Y'all be honest. Y'all looking at me like y'all never done it before. I know you. You know, I don't even want to hear the places they've been, the money they spent, blah, blah, blah. You can be striving to win your parents' approval. You know, you can do that even after they're gone. You can try to live up to the words they've spoken over you, good or bad. You can try to think, oh, I got to be good enough. Daddy always taught me to be a hard worker and I got to live up to dad. And he was hard on me, but it was tough. And I got to be tough too. And, you know, you got to think, mom was always telling me I need to look better and fix your hair. And I got to always come out looking good. And I got to be the best cook. I got to be the best mom. I got to be this. And we all try to live up to some sort of image somewhere, somehow. 
We can try to one-up our friend's success. We can do the things with our brother, trying to live up to be as loved as our brother and sister, trying to live up to our parents' approval. But what is behind all of the lens? The Bible says that God looks on the heart. He judges the thoughts and intentions. And I can tell you as a, as a teenager, I was never a confident person, ever. I dealt with severe anxiety and and uh, growing my up years, you know, I was a, a straight-A student, and, uh, you know, most people would have said, man, he's very smart. And on the inside, I never thought that. I was always, I remember being just terrified when they would have math drills. I remember going to the board, and they'd have math drills, long division. You had to get through with a piece of chalk, with chalk kids. It's just white stuff, powdery stuff, compactor, and goes on this black thing called a blackboard. And, and, and run up there and have to do math. I would just be sweating bullets, and I knew I knew it. But there was this image, what if I mess up and the, and the non-smart kid outdoes me in this race and they're going to call me names and sometimes it happened and they're going to say, ha ha, Heath didn't get it. I mean, all the image of, so all, ever, all my whole life growing up, all I did was try to wall myself in so I would never be humiliated. Uh, I, it's not that I wasn't that athletic. I really wasn't very athletic. But one of the reasons I didn't play a lot of sports is because I didn't want to get picked last. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to miss the shot. I didn't want to lose the game. There's a lot of things I didn't try out for because of fear of failure, because of this image. Everything I could do to preserve not being made fun of or not losing or not failing, what that led to is the sense of control. I've got to control everything around me that I make sure it's perfect that I don't have a breaking of this image. And it sounds foolish to me now as an adult. I think, well, what did you care about all that for? But in that moment, it was all about preserving a sense of self-identity. I had created some sense of self in my mind that I felt like that's who I need to be. I need to be smart. I need to be perfect. I need to have it all together. I need to succeed. I need to do all these things. And I had no picture. I had no sight. I had no knowledge of the image and life that God had for Heath Harris. Ministry was definitely out of the picture because standing on the stage in front of a hundred people and, and talking about your life for sure would have thrown me into heaves in the corner and I'd have to go take Pepto-Bismol just to get through it. I mean, seriously, I, I, you, standing in, I remember standing in Spanish class and, and now, students wouldn't know if you were speaking it right or not, but I remember standing there and just shaking. my paper was shaking, I was sweating and, you know, just trying to speak. It, all of this is about image of not knowing who I was. And I look back and I, and I did not see that God had peace and hope and love and joy and boldness in store for me. You ever seen someone in a hospital bed, uh, perhaps they are so sick they don't even look like themselves anymore. Maybe you have a loved one that's gone through that, or you yourself, so sick that we don't even look like ourselves anymore. That's soul sickness is very much the same way. When we fell from this imperfect relationship with God, we no longer looked like ourselves. We didn't act like ourselves. We didn't look like ourselves. We didn't talk like ourselves. There was that original perfection was there, but because sin came into the picture, it affected every cell, every fiber, every bone, every muscle, every neuron. It affected every emotion, every desire, every want, every goal, every need. It affected and permeated it all like a cancer sin was. And we, we didn't even know who we were. We didn't know who he was. And we lost this picture of what health and wholeness look like. So here's the question. What does God look like? 
Who am I supposed to look like? What, if, what am I supposed to be, God? I don't know who my father is. I don't know what I'm supposed to look like. And I, and I don't have a right image of God. I don't have a right image of self. And so God said it, uh, in his grace and his mercy, what God did when he sent Jesus Christ, the Apostle John says that he sent him in the representation of himself. It's as if he would send us that, that, that picture of himself in a tangible way. It says that his word became flesh and the and Colossians 1.15 says, The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, came to earth. He was the perfect image of God. And Romans 8.29 says, God sent him to earth so that we might be conformed into his image in his likeness. You get, okay, so listen, to, just bear with me just this morning. That is it. We didn't know what our daddy looked like. We didn't see him in us. We got soul sick. It was corrupted. We couldn't even see. We didn't even look like ourselves anymore. So God says, I'm going to send someone they can relate with, a way they can see me, the way they can see themselves in me. They'll know what a human God person looks like. They'll know what person, again, who has the father's thumbprints and spiritual DNA again. So he sends Jesus. And it says, we want you to be conformed into his image, the image of his son. I'm going to give you three ways real quick that you can be conformed into the image of God and what that means. Number one is this. It means that when God sent his son, he wanted you, number one, to belong again to Christ. What does that mean? The word belonging has a lot to do with likeness. It says we were made in his likeness. That has to do first with belonging to Christ. Remember the story when Jesus comes to the... Uh, people in the marketplace and they are trying to trap him into an argument about what is Caesar's and God's and do I pay tithes and taxes and all this kind of stuff. And he says, what? Pull out that coin. And he says, whose image, whose likeness is on that coin? They say, well, it's Caesar. And he says, well, what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God. The image on that thing is in the image of man. That's man's stuff. But what was he saying there? But what are you made in? Whose image is on you? Because if that image is on that coin, that means this. That coin has the representation of the kingdom. We take a dollar bill out today. I'm not going to go out giving money. But if I was to give John Smith here a, a, a $20 bill, it's going to say, in the authority of, basically, the apartment of the U.S. Treasury. That means that that is part of the kingdom of the United States. If it had the property of Belgium on it, it wouldn't work so much here in the United States, right? It's in the property of that kingdom. That money has the property of that kingdom, that place on it. And then it has a number on it, which represents the authority of what it's allowed to buy and has the power to purchase. It's a part of a kingdom. And then that $20 bill can buy 20, not very many things in the more, but 20 dollars worth of materials it has the power to cash in on that and god and jesus is basically saying the same thing that thing belongs to that kingdom and it has this much power who do you belong to think about it this morning do you belong to jesus christ number one are you made in his likeness is the imprint of him on you that says that's his 
And is it under his kingdom that has his stamp of approval on it? This is a part of this kingdom. It's not the United States. It's not Belgium. It's not Great Britain. It's not Africa. It's the kingdom of God. That's what's the imprint on this. And it has a number on it. It says that Jesus says, I've given you all power and authority on this earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations. And if you go through things like uh, demonic issues and healing issues and going through trials, Uh, travailing places with snakes and scorpions. Just know you have the power and the authority of my kingdom. Because why? You belong to me. Isn't that good? You belong to him. So there's where your image comes back. Well, God, I'm, I'm soul sick. I'm, I don't know who I am. And, and I got all these internal... But he says, no, no, no. But if you belong to me, you'll be made in my image. You'll have my kingdom and you'll have my authority. That's number one. Number two, it says, number two, you have to have his spirit. In the book of Acts... Uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, the question is posed, what does it mean to be made in God's image? And Luke writes, he basically says this. He says, it's not in the image formed by art or the thought of man. It's not like making something out of gold, silver, or stone, but it's out of the divine nature, the Holy Spirit. So the first part is him forming you and owning you and belonging you and giving you authority. The second part is him again, once breathing life into you, just as he did in the garden. When Jesus comes on the earth, his blood pays the blood sacrifice for our sin. And then now we have this connection where he breathes the Holy Spirit into us, that he breathes life again. This is a a new life. It's a sense of something divine now living inside of us. It's before we were sick with the sin cancer, the soul sickness, but now we have the medicine, the chemotherapy, the radiation that is permeating our body by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we have life-giving joy, life-giving love. There's something different about our step. We feel better. How many people feel better once you got the Holy Spirit? If you don't, maybe you didn't get it. Because when you get the right medicine for the right sickness, it works, doesn't it? All of you guys who are nurses, if it's working, it's the right medicine. And if you're sick and you haven't got the right medicine yet, you need to try out the Holy Spirit because he's the cure-all disease. He takes out that superbug. Man, he can go in there and he gives life again, those bones that were dead and dry. Ezekiel saw coming to life in a new sense, a new vitality, even though he saw bones that had no tendons and sinews on it begin to form again by the power of this life-giving drug, the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean to be made in the image? It's to belong to Christ. Number one, it's to have his spirit living in you. And number three, look in Ephesians 4.22. We've all got all kinds of labels on our life. Man, we, we have labels that people have put there that we didn't deserve. You maybe had a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa tell you you were no good. I worked with a young person many years ago, who his whole life, his dad just labeled him as gay and labeled him as gay and called him a sissy. And you know what happened? Throughout his teenage years, he wondered, maybe if I am, maybe if I am, people label us all the time. Maybe you made a mistake in your life. And and now that label has been upon you over and over again. You can't escape it. Or maybe there's internal labels you've put on your life that you've internalized that people, maybe they didn't say hi to me or maybe they didn't do this or maybe they don't really love me or maybe he never did like me. Maybe it's an ex or something, a relationship problem that happened in your life and he said he dropped you because you were ugly and you were no good. And, And you live with these labels. We all do. It's part of that old man, that old stuff. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians uh, 4.22. He says that in reference to your former manner of life, that's everything, everything about your former life, lay aside the old self, the old image 
which is corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. It was deceived, it was dying to cancer, soul sickness. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which is, here it is, in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. Do we know this image? He says, God has given you an image. Church, listen to me. You don't have to worry about your identity or your issues any longer. He says, all that other junk is old. It's passed away. All things become new. Get rid of all the labels. Get rid of all the questions. Get rid of all the anxieties, the fears, the sickness of sin that's corrupted your life. He says, but every day, remember and have faith. That's not you anymore. Jesus has given you a new understanding of who you are made in the righteousness and the holiness of his truth of what he says about you. His spiritual DNA is on you. His kingdom stamp of approval is on you. His authority is on you. And you belong to Christ. So every day, reject the old, renew the new. That's a life of faith. Not a life of you doing things. It's a life of faith and what he's done. He belong, you belong to him. You have his spirit. Now, every day, it's reminding myself who I am, who I am, who I am. I'm not what I once was. I'm pressing on into Jesus Christ. I believe what God says about me more than what I believe other people have ever said about me. I believe more what God says about me than what people do to me. It doesn't matter what God's done for me more than what they could ever possibly do. How many people are with me this morning? Know what I'm saying? That's all faith. You can't live it by wanting everything to work out or sound good or things should be better. It's all in faith of what he has done and what he has said. That's image. Amen? All right, let's go on. That's image. Your life is going to pursue and project the same thing. If you're pursuing and projecting earthly ideals, that's pleasure, power, and popularity, that's idolatry. But instead, we're pursuing and projecting love, mercy, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, peacefulness, forgiveness, and justice. We know him through Jesus Christ. That's what we pursue. That's our image. We are supposed to look like Jesus Christ, and that's the image of God. So when I see Jesus Christ, I want to see that man living in me. Like I look like my daddy, I want, I want to look like Jesus Christ because that's my dad. I want to look like him. And if I don't look like him, then I need to work some things out. And I know that his spiritual DNA is going to make me look like him. I didn't try to look like Michael Harris. Do you know this? I did not say I want big ears. I want a receding hairline by the time I'm 35. You know, I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't do that. It's because his DNA is in me. I didn't make that happen. When his DNA is in you, you won't make it happen either. The Holy Spirit's just going to naturally produce the fruit of his likeness. How many people believe that? Amen. Okay, that's image. Let's go to two. Identity. Number two is identity. Even the most well-loved children who have had parents speak great things over them struggle with identity. I was one of them. I had a great home. I wasn't abused. My parents loved me. They read Bible stories to me, took me to church every time the doors were open. But I had identity issues. I really did. I struggled with who I was and who I was going to be. And I think most every single kid and even adults do even today. Even though I know I had his image, I've got to find identity in it. For instance, who are you known as? 
In this room right now, some of you, I could tell you who you know one is because I could tell you, you know, you're a hunter, you're a fisher, you're a cook, you know, you're a good teacher, you're this, you're that. Some of you say, oh, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm that fun-loving uncle. That's part of your identity. You say, well, I'm smart. Most people know me as intelligent. Most people know me that I'm good about cars. Most people know me that, you know, I'm the, the social butterfly. We all have an image, an identity, and something uh, that we're that is unique to us. I want to be the most hardworking in the office, or I'm going to be the like I said, the family cook, or I'm going to be the one in the family who can sing, or I'm going to be the one who's good with style. I'm good with style. You know, I'm just I like style, I like shopping, or maybe that's your thing, or maybe I, I just like tools, and I'm the guy in the family's got the good tools, the latest tools, and everybody wants to come to you. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of things we all know and we like about ourselves. That's the things we're pursuing. We pursue those things. I, that's my uniqueness. Identity is the uniqueness of self. That's what identity is. It's the uniqueness of your personality and of your characteristics. That's identity. Image is what we talked about earlier, becoming into his image and his likeness. Identity is where we become different. It's my unique. In your family, and you guys have multiple kids, like I have two kids. They're both different. Same parents, same way of raising, same home, but they are very different. How many people know that's true? You're like, yeah, my brother, you should meet. No, like, we're different. That's just identity. We have a different identity. It matters how you think about your identity. It matters the characteristics that define you. It's your selfhood, your individuality. But sometimes when things happen in our life, let's say your identity is cooking, for instance, and you go to that Thanksgiving dinner and you make a horrible turkey, guess what happens? Your identity is going to have a crisis, People are going to say, well, maybe she's not as good of a cook as she said she was or we thought she was. Or maybe you were good at singing and you have this, you know, song you sing. And all of a sudden people are like, man, she sounds like a hyena. You know, I mean, we we all deal with those issues and it becomes an identity crisis. You get made fun of at work or school or things break down or you can't live up to the expectations that you've put on yourself to be that mom, that dad, that uncle, that that provider for your family or that loving wife. You 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 have a crisis moment and that's the identity crisis. But what I want to talk to this morning into this is having an identity in Christ, not in Christ. As 1 Peter 2.10 says this, for you once had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Somebody say amen to that. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You had no identity really before, but now your identity is rooted in your place, purpose, and perfection in Christ, place and purpose. That's where he says, and keep going down, he says that you were once not a people, but now you are a people. He says, but you are a what? A chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own ownership or possession. Your place is now in God's church. You're in God's family. You could have been rejected by your family and friends, but you got a place here. You have a a place to serve in his kingdom. You have a place to belong in his kingdom. He says, I'm putting up dwelling places for you. You'll never be cast out of my kingdom. You have a home with me and I'm your heavenly father. No matter where you go, I'll be there. I'm, I'm your place of belonging, a place to come home to. And he says, you have a purpose in me. You have identity. I'm calling you to be a royal priesthood, a, a people who'd go to the nations and make intercession for sinners and bring them back into the presence of God. Let me tell you something. You have no greater purpose than that right there. 
your job as a, in, the, in the meat market, your job at the store, your job in the auto mechanic shop, your job on the oil field. None of that is anywhere in comparison into your new purpose and identity in Christ. And how that works is that if you're a nurse, you're going to be a gospel Christ-centered nurse as you're nursing. As you're going to be in the oil field, you're going to be living out kingdom purpose as an oil field worker. If you're uh, uh, driving a truck, you're going to be a kingdom truck driver. Do you understand me this morning? That your purpose is now rested first in Christ. And the reason we have so many crises in our uh, our id and our ego, our personality here today in the world, is because we've failed to put identity in the right place, purpose, First, my first place is into the kingdom and the house of God, not to work or family, come on, and not to hobbies and extracurricular activities. I have to first find who I am in the body of Christ. Number two, I must find my calling, my ministry, my purpose in the body of Christ. God's given you a unique calling. If you're a cook, be a Christian cook. Do you use your gifts for the purposes of God? If you're good with your tools, man, use your tools for the kingdom of God. That's where you'll be fulfilled in your identity. And the reason you're not fulfilled and you're not happy, many people, because they're not using their purpose in the right place. Amen? Ooh, that was quiet. Purpose in the right place. Lastly is this, is perfection on identity. Identity. I did not think I was a perfect child. My nickname, no joke, my nickname in high school was Mr. Perfect because I was one of the only few kids in our high school that didn't drink, didn't cuss, didn't have sex, uh, made good grades. There was just a very few of us that really had the fear of mom and dad's belt. That's really what it, that's really what it was uh, in my life. Uh, but I never did feel perfect. I mean, I have anything. I was the most insecure about everything I would do. It's totally insecure about failure. But you know that when you come into Christ, you know what the Bible says? He says that you are perfect. Man, I don't ever feel that way, but he says you are perfect. The most loved kids, the nicest homes, the, the ones that have the best career track, we all struggle with identity and we wonder, man, am I good enough? You come into God and you know your history, your track record, and you think, man, am I, really, am I really good enough for him to do that, to him to bless me? Philippians 1.15 says, God sees you. As perfect. If your identity is in Christ, you're made perfect in Christ. That's how God sees you. Hebrews 10, 14 says, By one offering he has perfected those who are being holy or made holy. For instance, it's this. No matter how I feel, even if I don't feel perfect, he says, you are perfect. You know, my kids, even though they may make mistakes and yell and throw a toy and hit each other in the head... Uh, they're perfect. They're my kids. They're perfect. I see them as perfect. I know what they could be and should be, and they don't always live up to it, but it doesn't change how I see them. How many people, parents? No, that's true. My kids are perfect, right? That's who they are. They're mine. Of course they're perfect. They're my kids, right? And I'm not going to go tell everybody in the world that, but, but to me, they are. And when you become in Christ and he puts his image on you and you reflect your father and you're secure in your place, your purpose, now you have perfection in him. He says, you're my son or daughter in whom, like I said to Jesus, in whom I'm well pleased. You are who he says you are. I don't always feel it, I don't always act it, but in Christ, by faith, I am. Matthew 4, 5, 48, he says, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And some he's saying, be who I've made you to be. Paul says in Ephesians, walk worthy of the calling. You ever been called a name? 
You ever been called a name, been name calling? Maybe you were doing a name calling, but have you ever been called a name? In this world, people can call you all kinds of names that bring you down. Stupid, no good, gay, you know, you're just a piece of trash. Nobody will ever love you. We can be called all kinds of names, idiot, ignorant, you, you know, just all, all kinds of names, ones we can even list, and you can hold on to that. And it brings you down, but your heavenly Father calls you a name that lifts you up. He calls you a name that lifts you up. And if you will allow the world to call you names that bring you down, why don't you let God call you a name that brings you up? He says, you're my son in the image of Christ. I love you. I died for you. You're good enough for me to send my son to die for. That's how I see you. Not just in all your actions and your feelings, but who I've made you to be. Why don't you get lifted up a little bit by his identity? Somebody say amen. Okay, lastly is this. Security. Security. Image, identity, and security. So I know I have his image in me because his spiritual DNA, his imprint, his thumbprints on me. That's, that's when I come to Christ. Second is I have his identity when I find my place, my purpose, and I have faith in that perfection. I'm just going to hang on that perfection part because it's easy to say it's hard to believe. But you have to convince yourself by faith he sees me as perfect. Otherwise, you'll never feel like you could ever live up to the things God wants you to do. You'll never feel like you're good enough. You've got to see yourself as perfect in Christ. And then lastly is a security. I've got to find security in him. This word security means fastened or fixed. It means not having doubts and being safe and stable, free from anxiety. It means without care or feeling of no apprehension. That's hard to think about in the Christian life, feeling no apprehension. For instance, I know Jesus is God. I believe I have the Holy Spirit in me, but I don't always feel saved, and I don't always feel holy. I don't always have good security in who I am. Because knowing I'm perfect and acting perfect is a struggle. Knowing I'm perfect and knowing who I am and knowing what I'm supposed to do and doing it, that's a whole nother different issue. Doing it. This is what we talk about in Scripture is where James says, he says, we are made perfect, James 2.22, but our faith has to be perfected. This is inner and outer sanctification. He says, by one offering he's made, Hebrews says, by one offering he's made perfect, those are being made holy or perfect. By one offering he made perfect, those who are being made perfect. What does that mean, Pastor Heath? It means that your status is perfect. Your condition, your outward view. When Christ died on the cross, what he did is he took off his robe of righteousness and he took off your robe of sinfulness and he put a covering. He put his righteousness on you so that if he was to look at you, all he sees is his covering, his blood covering of righteousness. But we know on the inside, man, I still got issues. I still struggle with thoughts and lusts and pride and, and fears and failures. I struggle with all this stuff. And so outwardly, I'm one thing, but inwardly, I still got issues. That's okay. You're going to live there to the day you die. That's called outer sanctification, outer holiness, and inner holiness. You have to be secure in what he says and then pursue it. So what I said before, you pursue what you project. You pursue what you project. What Paul says in Philippians 3.12, and I'm wrapping up with this. Philippians 3.12 says, not that I've already obtained it. He knows he's not got it all. Or I've already become perfect. He knows on the inside I'm not. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ 
I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. You see, your self-confidence is not going to come from your self-focus. If I'm always focused inwardly, I'm no good, I made a mistake, I'm a failure, I don't have it all together, they said this about me, man, this is all going on in my life, and I'm focused inward. My self-confidence will never come from focusing inward. What I must focus on is focused upward and outward and say, I'm going to pursue what he has already projected to be on me. He says that you are my son or daughter. You're not what you used to be. My thumbprint's on you. My breath of the Holy Spirit is on you. I've given you a place. I've given you a perfect uh, purpose. I put you perfectly where I want you to be. You're perfect in my eyes. Now be secure in what I've called you to do. And he says, God, I believe all that by faith. And so I'm made perfect. So now I'm pursuing perfection inside of me. I'm not worried about losing all the things that God has done. It's a daily struggle where I say, God, I know who you've made me to be. I thank you by grace. I'm confident what you've done for me, not what I could do for me. It's all been you by faith. I believe what you've done for me. And God, I want to be the best son or daughter I can be. Am I going to fail? Probably. Am I going to struggle? Probably. But that doesn't mean I don't start, keep going. It's like I want to, don't you have, if you have a good mom or dad, don't you want to live up to the things they've set for you to do? I know my mom and dad worked hard. My mom and dad, when I, when I was born, my dad worked in a meat market. My mom worked at a bank. They made peanuts. We lived in a little bitty house and there was rats running in and out of it. And I know they worked hard 50, 60 hours a week. Most of my life, they moved my family all the way up to Missouri just to have a better job and a better education for me. They sacrificed hours. They, my mom went to night school. My dad worked weekends a lot of times and they worked hard and worked hard and worked hard for me. So you better know when I went to college, it wasn't a free ride. It had been paid for by the blood, sweat, and tears of my mom and dad. And so I live now in appreciation for all they have done. Am I perfect? No. Have I always uh, been perfect? No. But in their eyes, I am. They've paid the price for me. And so now, as a good son, I want to live up to my mom and dad and all they've done. That's the same thing for you and me in Christ. Am I going to struggle? Yes. Am I going to fail? Yes. But I know that God sees me as his son, as a daughter, and I am perfect in him. And I strive for that perfection every day in this Christian life. And if I come against an obstacle, sometimes we do doubt who we are. We doubt maybe, maybe I'm not a good son. Maybe I'm not who I said I am. Maybe, maybe this is all a sham. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not even saved. I don't know. Philippians again. I'll close with this, 1-6. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until he comes again. He's going to do it. Be confident, not in you. Be confident in Christ. Worship team, would you come? Do you know your image? Do you know your identity? And are you secure? Image, identity, security. Whatever you are projecting, that's what you are pursuing. And my challenge to you today is do not look within. Do not look to others. Look to Christ. There's only one image you need to pursue. That's the image he's already given you in his son, Jesus Christ.